Okay, we are continuing together our study in our church's doctrinal statement, which is the London Baptist Confession of 1689. Chapter 32 is the very last chapter, and as we would expect, it deals with the last things. Specifically, it deals with the subject of the last judgment. Now, we have previously looked at the overall structure of this chapter, and we've seen that paragraph 1 deals with the certainty of the day of judgment. Paragraph 2 deals with the purpose of the day of judgment. And paragraph 3 deals with the timing of the day of judgment. And so we are covering those in their order. Now, we have uh, just been working together on paragraph 1, the uh, certainty of the day of judgment. And so we want to read that paragraph together and then we'll pick up where we left off last time. Paragraph 1 of chapter 32 says, God has appointed a day wherein he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, to whom all power and judgment is given of the Father, in which day not only the apostate angels shall be judged, but likewise all persons that have lived upon the earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, we have talked about the fact that there certainly is going to be a day of judgment, not only because of revelation, but also because of reason. As we look at the world around us, we recognize that there is a great deal of injustice that is done in this world that is not rectified or addressed in this world. And so, in order for there to be ultimate justice, there must be a day of judgment in which justice is finally um, accomplished because uh, it's certainly not accomplished in this life. There is a great deal of injustice. Many of the wicked prosper. Many of the righteous suffer. And so there must be a time and a place in which things are made right. And of course, Revelation makes it very clear to us that indeed that is the case, that there is going to be a day of judgment. We have looked then at the one sitting in judgment, and we have seen that it is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is going to be the judge of the world at the end of the world. We then considered together the persons being judged, and we saw that it consisted of the apostate angels, and we looked at a number of passages in which the angels who have fallen are going to be brought into judgment, and also all persons who have lived upon the earth. And so um, we looked at Matthew 16, 27, and a number of other passages that made it clear that no one is going to escape the day of judgment. The Bible says it's appointed unto a man once to die and then the judgment. So everyone who dies goes to the judgment and none escape. Now, um, that brings us then to um, our, our material today, and that has to do with the process of judgment. The process of judgment. We've seen the one sitting in judgment, it's Christ. We've seen the persons being judged, the apostate angels, and all persons who have lived upon the earth. And now today we want to consider together the process of judgment. Now the process of judgment is declared in the latter half of the paragraph when it says 
that they will appear before the tribunal of Christ. Now, here's the process to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds. And then secondly, to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. So what we want to do then is look at the process of judgment. Now, the first thing that it says is that there will be an accounting given. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. And the very last chapter, chapter 12, and then the very last verse, verse 14. Now, we're given a summary conclusion and statement regarding how we ought to live life in verse 13, and then the reason is supplied in verse 14. In verse 13, after surveying all the events and the affairs of of human life and existence, Solomon says in verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of of man. And why should we fear God and why should we keep his commandments? Verse 14, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So the point is, everything we do, whether it's known only to us or whether it's known by all people, is going to be brought into judgment. And if it's good, it's going to be brought into judgment. And if it's evil, it's going to be brought into judgment. Now, uh, in particular, our confession says that we will give an account of our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. And what that means is it encompasses every moral act that we engage in. What we think uh, is a moral choice. Uh, What we say is a moral choice. What we do is a moral choice. And all those moral choices will be brought into judgment. Now, let's look at a couple of passages that tell us that God is going to pass judgment on our thoughts. Um, Romans chapter 2, the book of Romans, the second chapter. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans chapter 2. And we'll start reading at verse 14. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. It says, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So these secrets of men that Jesus Christ is going to judge are, among other things, the thoughts of their conscience, which, of course, is passing judgment on their moral behavior. 
Every person is born with a conscience. Every person, when they engage in an act, um, their conscience says to them, that was right or that was wrong, that was good or that was evil. And so the things that go through our mind, God knows. The Bible makes it very clear that God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. And so there is not a thought in our minds, but that the Lord knows it altogether. And so Psalm 139 uh, makes it very clear that God knows each and every single one of our thoughts. The psalmist says, there's not a thought in my heart, O Lord, but that thou knowest it altogether. And so God knows all of our thoughts, and he is going to bring those thoughts into judgment. Whether they're good or whether they're evil, they're going to be brought into judgment. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, Paul is speaking of himself as a minister of the gospel. And uh, he says... In verse 3, 1 Corinthians 4, 3, he says, But with me it is found a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not thereby justified. But he that judges me is the Lord, therefore judge nothing before the time. Until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. Now notice, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. And so God knows the very counsels of our hearts. He will pass judgment on them. And then, uh, assuming that they are good, he will give praise uh, to those thoughts that we had. So these two passages, as well as many others, make it clear that God knows what goes through our minds and God passes judgment on those thoughts. Now, the second thing that our confession says is he's not not only going to judge our thoughts, he's also going to judge our words, that is, the things we say. Um, Our words are moral acts and uh, they can be either good or evil and God passes judgment on them as well. So turn, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. The Gospel of Matthew, the 12th chapter. In Matthew 12, in verse 36, we'll start out at verse 34. Matthew 12, 34. He says, O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment for... By thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And so our words are going to be evaluated, and based upon the content of those words, there's either going to be justification or there's going to be condemnation. 
So God evaluates not only our thoughts, but also our speech. And then finally, we see that God passes judgment on our deeds. We'll give an account of our thought, our words, and our deeds, that is, our actions. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 10. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Once again, notice who's doing the judging, Christ is. That everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So the things we do, uh, in our bodies are the actions that we take with our hands and our feet and um, the, the, uh, the behaviors that we uh, engage in. So these are just a sampling of the passages that speak to the fact that God is going to judge our thoughts, God is going to judge our words, and God is going to judge our deeds. Now, it says then in response to that, that they will receive according to what they have done, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And um, let's turn, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 2, and we'll see uh, an example of that. The book of Romans, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans, chapter 2. Book of Romans, chapter 2. Now, we'll start reading together at verse 5. And uh, he's speaking about the, uh, the Jews and the judgment that they would pass on those wicked Gentiles in chapter 1. And what Paul is saying is, look, you're just as wicked. Um, and he uh, really uh, excoriates them over in... Uh, um, Chapter, I mean, chapter 2 and verse 17, but we'll start reading at verse 5. He says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, that is, an unrepentant, hardened heart, you treasure up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now notice verse 6. Who will render to every man according to his deeds? Now, here's what our confession is talking about when it says they will receive according to what they have done in their body, whether good or evil. Okay, so what we have here is God rendering to people in response to their deeds. Now, notice verse seven to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. They will obtain eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they will receive indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good 
to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. Are you worried yet? I mean, if all of your thoughts are going to be judged and all of your words are going to be judged and all of your deeds are going to be judged and you're going to receive according to the judgment of what you have done, then on the basis of your behavior, what's your outcome going to be on the day of judgment? (laughs) Um, It's not good at all, is it? If we look at God's judgment from the perspective of, if I do good, I'm going to be rewarded. And if I do evil, I'm going to be punished. Who of us haven't done evil in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds? And if there's going to be a strict accounting and there's going to be strict justice, which of course there will be, then who could stand? And the answer is nobody. Not you, not me, not anybody. Why? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, something that we've all done. And so when we look at the fact that there's going to be a judgment, there's going to be a judgment according to works, and the works are going to determine the outcome, If that was the totality of the story, we're all in deep, deep trouble. But of course, that's not the totality of the story, thank the Lord. There is redemption and there is forgiveness for our sins through Jesus Christ. And the wrath of God against those sins and the punishment that is due to them has been borne by Christ. And since those things have been borne by Christ, God has put them as far away from him as the east is from the west. And so when the believer in Jesus Christ shows up on the day of judgment, there are no sins on his account. None. The only thing that is on his account is the acts of obedience and the good deeds that he has done. And that's why the believer does not fear the day of judgment. Now, turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew 25, and we'll see this very clearly. Matthew chapter 25. We'll start reading at verse 31, and we'll read down through verse 46, and after we read it, we're going to make some observations. Matthew 25:31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, we've just read about that and, and memorized that and 
1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, haven't we? Okay. <clears throat> then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And once again, we see that Jesus is the judge. This judgment occurs immediately after he returns with um, the shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. <clears throat> and so he divides people up into two groups, the sheep and the goats, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Now notice verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in, naked, and you clothed me not, sick and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not unto one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now, there's a couple of things that we want to observe about this passage. Number one, we see that Jesus is the judge. We see that the judgment is taking place at the end of the world. And we see that all people without exception are gathered before him. These are all things we've studied as we've previously looked at our paragraph and our confession of faith and demonstrated from the word of God. The second thing we see about this judgment is that it is a judgment according to works, isn't it? Every time, without exception, we see the judgment, it's always a judgment according to works. And so it is here. God looks at the behavior of the people and he passes judgment based on what he sees. Now, what is fascinating about this judgment is that when Jesus speaks to the sheep that are on his right hand, which he calls the righteous, what does he mention to them? Does he mention any of their sins to them? Not one. All he mentions to them is their good deeds. All he mentions to them in particular is the way in which they treated the people of God while they were here on the earth. In other words, God says, the way in which you treated my brethren, 
that is, those who are the brethren of Christ, those who are Christians, the way you viewed and treated Christians indicates that you yourself were one of them. Because the way you treat a Christian, Jesus says, is the way you treat me. Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, Jesus said, you have done it unto me. So the way I treat you is the way I treat Jesus, and the way you treat me is the way you treat Jesus. And so my faith in Jesus and my love for Jesus and my desire to serve Jesus can be measured by the way in which I treat the people of God. And when the people of God have needs, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're in prison, they have need of clothing, they're sick, and we see those needs and we go to minister to those needs, it's as if we saw Jesus having those needs and we went and ministered to him. And our faith in Christ is demonstrated by the way we treated Christ through the person of his people. But what's interesting here is that Christ only mentions their righteous acts. He does not mention their sins at all. Why? Because they have no sins placed to their account. Because all of their sins were placed to the account of Christ and he bore them and expiated them all on the cross. So when they appear before the day of judgment, what does it say in the book of Jude? That he, he is able to keep you from falling and to present you what? Faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. That's how you get presented without any of your sins clinging to you at all. And so there's no mention here of any sin in the righteous because they have none placed to their account. They were all imputed to Christ. Now, the second thing, the third thing we want to notice here is that uh, when, when he speaks to the wicked, okay, the cursed, verse 41, then shall he say to them on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Does he mention any of the good deeds they did? Not one. All he mentions is their sins. Now, why doesn't he mention any good deeds that they did? There aren't any. And why aren't there any? but to curry one's own self-righteousness. That's right. You know, the Bible says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. And the wicked don't live, even in their good deeds, with any notion of giving glory to God. If they do do good works, it's to build up their own sense of self-righteousness and their own sense of felt goodness, that I was so generous and I was so kind and I did such good things for other people. Aren't I a good person? Well, no glory to God, no recognition that from God came the strength and the ability and the resources to even do those deeds. And so therefore, as Calvin said, uh, the passage in the Old Testament, even the plowing of the wicked is sin, even when they go out and make a living for their family, which you would think would be a very good deed, if it was done out of selfish motives and it was done without giving glory to God or with any thought of service to him, which is the case of every unsaved person because they're at enmity against God, then the point is they have no good deeds. They have no good works. Everything they do is sin because it all proceeds out of a corrupt fallen nature and therefore it's polluted at its source. Uh, 
and defiled in its expression, even though another human would look at it and say, wow, that was a good thing. God looks at it and he says it came from a corrupt source and therefore it is corrupt. And so we see the wicked have no good deeds to be recognized and the righteous have no sins to be observed. And you also see what was the attitude of the wicked towards the people of God? He says, inasmuch as you did it not unto the least of these, my brethren. One of the things that marks the people of Satan, the unrighteous, the wicked, uh, universally is their hostility towards Christians and their indifference towards the people of God. They have no desire or interest in reaching out to and ministering to the people of God as the people of God. There is a fundamental hostility towards Christ. The carnal mind is enmity against God, Romans 8, 9. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. And so since they're at enmity against God, guess who else they're at enmity against? Those who represent God. Jesus says, inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. Well, inasmuch as you did it not to the least of these, my brethren, you did it not to me. And so Jesus takes the persecutions of the wicked against the church as persecutions against himself. And once again, their lack of faith in Christ is demonstrated by their indifference towards or outright hostility towards the people of God. And so when you look at someone who's not a Christian, they don't want anything to do with church and Christians. They're really a drag. And when they get saved, they want to be in church and they want to be with Christians and they love Christians. I remember going through that transition myself at 17 years of age. And those of you who are older when you were saved, remember that. Christians were like, yuck. And then suddenly Christians are like the most wonderful people you've ever met. You want to be with them and you love them. So our faith in Christ, or lack thereof, is demonstrated by our works in the way in which we treat the people of God. So, as our confession says, there will be an accounting of our thought, words, and deeds, and we will receive according to what we have done in the body, whether good or evil. And it is the nature of Christians that their behavior demonstrates their faith by the way in which they treat the people of God, among other things. And the lack of faith of the wicked is demonstrated by their attitude towards the people of God. And so God looks at the works and reasons from the works back to the heart disposition that was the source of those works. Remember earlier we saw that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, out of the abundance of the heart, the hands work. And so you look at the works of the hands, you look at the, at the words of the mouth, and you know whether there's faith in Christ or not in the heart. Jesus himself said, by their fruits, you shall know them. So has someone become righteous through the saving work of Jesus Christ? You can tell their mouth changes and their behavior changes. And thus you can know whether they have saving faith or not. Now we're not saved by our works. These people weren't saved by their works. Their works were the proof and the manifestation that they had been saved. 
and that's why they acted in the fashion in which they did. So they were saved by faith in Jesus Christ and on the grounds of his substitutionary saving work. But because that salvation also transforms them through regeneration, they obtain a new heart and therefore now new thoughts, new speech, new behavior, and all of that is the evidence of the new heart and the faith in Christ. All right, are there any questions? So I guess my question would be on the basis of even the following of the wicked is sin. Therefore, I guess I'm always looking for the big things that you do that are, are right, but being saved, the little things like plowing are a blessing. Or I, the opposite of of, um, the plowing of the wicked is sin. Amen. Yeah, so any little thing you do, you give a cup of cold water in the name of Christ, you'll in no wise lose your reward. Right. I guess we, at least myself, have a tendency to look for the big things. Right, right. Opposed to the everyday. Right. And, and, you know, what is Jesus talking about here but everyday things? The way I treat you week after week after how many years has it been now and the way you've treated me through the years. And just a lot of little things, 10,000 little things, okay? And uh, you're right, um, you know, salvation isn't so much demonstrated in the great big notable things we do as it is the way we live every day. And the little choices we make, the 10,000 little choices we make every day, when an evil thought goes through our mind, we go, no. And uh, you can go outward from there. Yeah, so it's not the big things, it's little things like giving the cup of cold water, visiting someone in prison. Yeah, good. Thank you for that observation. Any other thoughts? All right, well, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the deliverance that we have from our sins, that they will not cling to us on the day of judgment, for they were nailed to the cross and taken out of the way by Jesus. And he's able to present us holy and unblameable and unreprovable in your sight. Father, thank you for that. Thank you, Father, for the fact that the day of judgment is something we can look forward to with joy and delight and anticipation and enthusiasm because it will be a time of great blessedness for us. It is then that we will enter into the joy of our Lord and into the kingdom that's been prepared for us from the foundation of the world. Lord, we pray that the terror of the day of judgment might come into the minds and hearts of those who are yet unsaved. And that, Father, they might be moved to flee from the wrath to come. Father, we thank you for deliverance from that wrath. May we trumpet that good news to all those around us who are thinking that their good works are going to outweigh their bad when, in fact, there are no good works, only bad. Father, help them to understand that, to come into conviction with reference to it and to seek refuge in the blood and righteousness of Christ. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.